for me, it was a vision of building a brand and a business. You know, I didn't want to be self-employed necessarily. I wanted to, I wanted to build a business and a brand that's going to change the industry. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. I'm your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today my special guest is Chris Finn from Par for Success Physical Therapy in Raleigh, North Carolina. Chris, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Aaron. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor, actually. I've listened to the show many times, so it's cool to actually get on and chat with you live. Awesome. Well, I think we, we met in person a few years ago at CSM, and you had contacted me a year or two before that, I think, around when you, you know, after you had started your practice. And so it's been a few years uh, yeah, that I've kind of known you and followed what you're doing. Can you just share a little bit about what are you doing right now about your clinic? What makes you guys unique? Yeah, I think the uh, probably the thing that jumps out to most people that's unique is we work with golfers. So we've really niched down, and that's that's our niche is about ninety eight point nine percent golfers. <laughs> yeah, so really, I started out of the back of my car. I, I learned quickly out of school that I was not a good employee. I, you know, we're, we're in we're in the triangle area, so I tried to. I worked at a local. ACC University and tried to refer a patient to the enemy. <laughs> that didn't go over well. So long story short, <laughs> I realized I needed to do my own thing. Um, right. So really, I had a passion for golf at that point. Um, you know, down here in North Carolina, we can play all year round. So mm-hmm. uh, there really wasn't anybody I felt like doing it well. So I put a table in the back of my car and just started pounding pavement to all the different country clubs around and bands and trying to grab anybody possible to <laughs> let me work with them. Treated for a little while, a couple of locker rooms at country clubs, and you know that was, I guess, six years ago at this point. Okay. And now we're a couple, couple locations down there. You know, we went from there. My first location was actually a twenty by twenty shed on a driving range. That was a, it's nostalgic when we look back at that. But um, you know, we opened up in our kind of in our current location. I guess it was 2015, 16, beginning of twenty sixteen, where we have a kind of a full performance centers you know so we have a full full gym about 6000 square feet and then we also have a you know from a PT perspective I've always been 100% cash didn't want to get involved in the whole insurance game mm-hmm. um, so, so it's kind of a we've got those two elements and then our business also we have a very large kind of virtual so we do a lot of training with people around the world um, and then a lot of you know, being having our physio background obviously you're limited somewhat what you can do to people outside of state lines but kind of helping to drive them to the practitioners near them Awesome. So right now you've got two locations or three locations? So we've got two. So we have our, our main location. It's kind of our hub here in Raleigh. And then we have, we have kind of a satellite location, Holly Springs, if that means anything to anyone who knows North Carolina, at a country club down there. Okay. So. And then you've got, looks like about seven or eight employees, some other physical therapists, performance coaches, et cetera. Can you give us a rundown of like how your business is structured and yeah, so we've got, you know, uh, I have another full-time uh, physio, and then we have two full-time strength coaches. And then I would say that's kind of our core treatment mm-hmm. team. Uh, and obviously, we have, you know, our director of operations, you know, your, your front desk staff. We have one staff member who does that for all of our in-house, so physical therapy and kind of fitness members. And then we have uh, another one that does that for all of our virtual team. And then mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, some part-time help in terms of videos, YouTube, 
all kind of the media creation, all that sort of stuff too. So Wow, right on. Yeah. And then let's see. So you started by yourself. You built it up decent. I mean, was it slow? Was it fast? Was it... Did I mean, it, it always feels slow, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, shit, this is taking forever. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I started, you know, I think just to give people concepts, like if, they're, if they're listening, they're thinking of going out on their own. You know, I left my full-time job, went to a private practice, and then basically over the course of probably 10 months, went from working full-time, so, you know, 50 hours, if you, you know, a normal 50-hour week kind of with paperwork and all that sort of stuff. And then I would see people, you know, after, after hours or before hours, you know, because I work a split schedule, some days late, some days early. You know, from there, my next step was I, I took out my stop taking lunches. So that gave me an extra hour on the beginning or the end of the day. And then mm-hmm. um, I would say within a year, then I started going down to, I went drop to 30 hours a week so I could do more on my side. And then I probably did that for maybe three to five months. And then I actually walked away from the steady paycheck and I took up, uh, I got, went to two nursing homes, did some PRN work. It's a dark time in my career, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's doing what you need to do to, you know, you're hustling, you know, to do what you, you know, pay the bills. I had, you know, I might've had somebody at nine in the morning. So I'd go get three hours of PRN work from, you know, six to nine, you know, go to my location, see somebody for an hour go back out to the other nursing home for two or three hours, come back, see two people. And, you know, this, you know, I, I had my first, kid was born uh, my wife's a school teacher so you, you do what you need to do and like when you believe in the dream and you're passionate about it yeah. you know, and you know to go from there to where I am now where I you know I treat maybe 10 hours a week kind of team that we have that was from there to now you know five just about six years yeah wow yeah so you got to eat dirt for a little while right you know oh yeah I mean so <laughs> for a tell while, me you eat it. why was that worth it why was it worth you like who's the enemy why was it worth you leaving this steady paycheck to go eat some dirt for a few years? Well, I think, you know, I think you and me are the same here too. It's, it's when you see something that can be done a better way, you just, you want to do it. You don't want to have to ask permission for three people. You know, the catalyst for me was I proposed basically my business model to the healthcare system I was in, offered to do it after hours and was going to donate half of what I made back to the inpatient side of the, you know, the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told me to, you know, climb up another tree and never work. <laughs> yeah. For me, that's, that's okay, let me show you. So I think that was some of it. I think the other is just the frustration of, you know, I was seeing 20 people a day and mm-hmm. you know, they weren't really getting better. I was, wasn't working with necessarily the population that I was motivated to get better. They weren't as fun to work with. You know, they'd come in and complain to me that they weren't better, and, but they didn't do anything at home that I told them to do. So it was really just, it was a, I wasn't happy going home, right? So yeah. I wanted to find that active individual who was as engaged as I was. And I wanted to do things the right way that I felt. And I'm, I have no problem putting in the work to do that. And that's the kind of become the basis of our differentiator to this point with a lot of the research that we do mm-hmm. in the golf performance world and figuring out what's right, what's wrong, what actually works. And I, don't know, I, I just, you know, if we talk about like core values and, you know, my core value really is, I just believe in better. I think things can be better. I think people can be better. And I, and I have no, I enjoy challenging the status quo to figure out how do we make it better. Right. Um, that's what, that just, I figured out that's what excites me in the morning. That's awesome. What, what makes you different than the person that was working next to you at the, at the hospital or at the old job? Like what's, what's the difference between what you are doing and what other people seem to be doing or satisfied doing or not? You know, I don't know. Like what's, what's the difference maker? Like, 
I don't know. I think part of it's got to be an eight. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember going to like those big staff meetings and I'd be getting all fired up. Like, oh, what do you mean? You know, we're not productive. I'm at nine, you know, 98 to 110% productive. And, but some people would just be totally cool, you know, seeing four people. And if they didn't get better, that was cool. They had other priorities in their life or, you know, that just, that fit their mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, if, if I'm not constantly challenging myself, getting better and that that bores me. I think I get bored easily. I think that's the other thing. And from an entrepreneurial side, once I figure it out, I get a problem, I figure it out, I'm bored. I want to move on. And so I think that just wasn't being satisfied um, from an internal standpoint. I went home and felt like I just kind of wasted eight hours of the day. And all I could look forward to was getting out of work to go do something else. Mm -hmm. Now when I'm at work, it's like, Oh shit, I got to leave, man. It's, it's, it's only been 12 hours. What do you mean? I got to go. I'm really enjoying this. That's a good sign. Like when you're like, when someone, when your family's like, you need to come home and be with the family. You're like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I don't have a job anymore. Yeah. Well, that's my wife, you know, she's, we have three kids and we were talking about a little earlier and she, we have, I have a curfew. Like I need to be home at six 30. I legitimately have had to make those choices like intentionally to say, I'm going to be home for dinner four to five nights of the week. And dinner's at 6.30. So if you want to work more, well, you got to go in at 4.30 or 5 in the morning or whatever time you need to go. So, yes, yeah, so, I don't know. There's just a, a, when you find what you love to do, it's, you know, I always thought it was corny. People say it doesn't work, but it really doesn't feel like work. You, know, you work 12 hours, you're in the car going home and your mind's still going and excited about it. You can't wait for the next morning. Like right. that's how you kind of know you're in the right, doing the right thing for you. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some of the other things you're doing to like, well, I guess one, let me say this. I, I, I think like, I don't really, I believe like people talk about work-life balance, right? It's yeah. Probably mostly because they hate their work and they yep, want to enjoy exactly. their life. Yep. Um, for you and me, it's like, it's like a work, it's more of a mix. It's a work-life mix. It's like mm-hmm. love work and love the other things. So what are some of the things that you do like as a father to other than, you know, okay, I've agreed to be home at 6.30 for dinner. Yeah. What yep. are some of the other things you're doing to make sure that, not only your work's getting your attention, but your family's getting your attention. Well, I think one of the cool things when you're your own boss is you create your own culture and your own environment. So like one of the things we've done here at Power for Success is like family's welcome. It's like my wife will come help out and she'll bring our, you know, our two month old and he'll hang out. And, you know, he's sat in two staff meetings already. He's only three months old. And, you know, if our kids are off, they want to come hang out or I think there's an opportunity as a, as a parent in that when you're your own boss to, you can bring them in and say, you know, my son wants to go for ice cream. It's like, okay, that's three bucks. Mm-hmm. Let's go, go to the gym. You find a job that I think you know, that you think you're going to bring value to me for. And I'll tell you if it's worth three bucks. And so he's cleaned more medicine balls at age six than probably <laughs> he should. <laughs> but so I think it's a matter of, it's an inner, I don't know if balance is the right word. I, I don't think it's ever imbalanced. There's going to be mm-hmm. some times when you own your own business where, you know, you, you'll pull a hundred hour week, but then there'll be other weeks where it's like, you know, everything's pretty good. I'm going to cut out at two o'clock and you know, I'm going to surprise my son and pick him up in carpool early. So yeah, I, I just think it's you know, more, maybe more of an integration is the right word. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I would agree. I think when you're, you love what you do, like you want to bring your family into it. Like I want my kids to see how much fun it is. And if they work hard, they can have whatever they want and nothing's given to you and it can disappear in the blink of an eye. But I don't know. I, I just think that's the mentality that I take to it and you know, right or wrong. I don't know. That's, that's what mine is. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me about like, as you're growing your business, what was the point at which, was there a point at which you didn't think it was going to keep going or there was a, like, what was the biggest struggle that you had building your business? I mean, money, right? Isn't yeah. that the, isn't that for everyone? <laughs> I mean, when you're self-funding it, I mean, you know, I think 
if people ask me like, what's the key to being to gotten to where you've gotten to, and you know, without question, it's my wife, you know, my the support system at home. To mm-hmm. and we've had num- It's I feel like every except for maybe the last two years, every kind of like fourth quarter, it's like, okay, how many more years are you gonna do this, Chris? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've been eating dirt for a long time. You know, you're paying other people more than you're paying yourself. You know, what's what are we doing? And you know, I think for me, it was a vision of building a brand and a business. You know, I didn't want to be self-employed necessarily. I wanted to, I wanted to build a business and a brand that's going to change the industry. And to do that, it's not named Finn's Fitness. You know, it, it's named Par for Success because I wanted it, you know, not attached to me. Mm-hmm. Build the culture and to get the right people in. Yeah, you know, I had to spend more money on bringing the right people in to build the right team earlier than I probably quote unquote should have, as some people would say. But you know, that's paying off extreme dividends at this point, you know, it's, it's just every year the growth goes up the you know, the, the bottom line goes up in terms of the more margins. And so to me, that was, that's been the, the hardest is managing how long do you continue to not pay yourself to a degree? And it's one of the lessons I probably wish I learned earlier is a great book that I love um, profit first. I don't know if you've read that book, mm-hmm. but just basically forcing yourself to build your own payment into it as an expense and that it's not okay to, you know, work a hundred hours a week and not get any money for it. Right. <laughs> so I think that was probably one of the toughest lessons I learned, you know, that if I could go back and or give advice to somebody starting out now, it'd be like, figure out how you force your business to be efficient from a financial standpoint. Because if it isn't efficient financially, yeah, it's going to, you know, I don't care how much you love it. If at the end of the day, you got to go into the cookie jar, you know, the, the change drawer to see if you can buy a beer at the end of the week. Right. Uh, you know, that that's a problem. <laughs> How did you go about doing that? Was it working with a bookkeeper, accountant, or doing figuring it out yourself, putting it on a spreadsheet, something? Yeah, I think a lot of it was just honestly reading. <laughs> you know, we have an accountant and a bookkeeper, but I don't think you can rely on them. It's your responsibility as a business owner to figure out what's efficient. So really, I think for me, it was figuring out what my KPIs, you know, my key performance indicators were, and that if I think the problem I ran into is we grew so much. It was, oh, more money's coming in. That means I can spend more. Mm-hmm. And it was, and without really taking a look at now where I look at, you know, on a monthly basis, for every dollar that comes in, how much did my PT cost me? How much did my fitness staff cost me? You know, my revenue producers versus my non-revenue producers. And it doesn't matter if I had my best month by 25%, if my efficiency went down by 30%, well, that, that's not good. So that's, and so it's being able to catch those problems earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's honestly, it's just, it's been a lot of trial and error. And I think my accountant was the one who put me onto the profit first book. And that was kind of pretty eye-opening. And, um, you know, it took, you can go with like a Coursera, you could take an accounting course at, you know, the Wharton business school for like 75 bucks. I mean, right. there's so many resources this day and age, like that you can self-teach yourself. I think that's a side that a lot of the PTs or the fitness people that I talk to that are trying to start out, they have no concept of how to run their books and, the difference between the cash accounting versus accrual accounting, you know, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's, no, that's, that's, that's important. So what are the KPIs that you look at? What are they, whether it's for yourself or for your staff, what are the big indicators that you're looking at? Yeah, I think, you know, if we talk top line, the number one I look at is what's my over, what's my net. You know, I have kind of a, you know, say I think industry standard for PT clinics. I think when I looked two years ago, it was like 9%. So my goal is to be three X that. So like 9% profit margin. Correct. So my goal is to be at, you know, at least 3x that. So that's like my top line. And then I say, okay, did I hit that? Yes or no. <laughs> and then basically my goal for my other KPIs is that it then tells me the story of did I hit that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the main ones that I'll look at will be you know, from a 
I guess there's a staff efficiency one. So I'll look at for every dollar that came in in the PT realm, how much did I pay my PTs? For everything that came in in the fitness realm, how much did I pay my fitness people? You know, what did I pay my non-revenue producers? So my the media guy, my operations, you know. So it's, those are some metrics that I look at in terms of my staff costs. I just think of those as like my, uh, my cost of goods sold to a degree. And then I like to look at for, um, and from my marketing standpoint, I look at uh, basically my 30-day return on lead acquisition versus client acquisition. So for every dollar I spend, for every client I get, you know, what, what was my cost for that? And then I also like looking at you know, based off of my long-term value, you know, what I can expect from a, a PT person and obviously off of my conversion rates. I like looking at if I got a hundred people in and, you know, so let's say I got a hundred leads, let's say I got 50 clients, what is my lifetime cost for them for the next year for that marketing dollar? So basically for that dollar, how efficient was it in terms of generating revenue for me? Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at that in terms of my marketing KPIs. Uh, and then obviously there's your, you know, your strategy call conversion rates, your strategy visits conversion rates, your somebody you convert from that then what's my conversion rate in a pt eval versus a golf eval so i think all of that together then that tells me the story where i can look and say hey it was a great month from a money standpoint but actually there's some problems down here that i probably need to look at addressing before it actually becomes a financial problem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right on and what about like when you're evaluating your staff or therapists like what are some of the numbers because, you know, we're all used to people saying, hey, you're not billing enough units, right? And that's clearly a KPI yeah. <laughs> in network yeah. is like, well, you got to build 10 units an hour or more, you know, to pay your I actually, I think I actually get more upset if they're here too long. Uh-huh. So, like, I look from my PPT standpoint, like, our average time to, like, pain gone or, like, you know, where we'd be able to discharge them if they don't convert into, like, a fitness or a long like a mm-hmm. wellness is four visits. So for me, if you're going longer, if you're, I got someone for 10 or 12, I'm concerned. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you missing? Do you need help? Like, what's the, I, I think I look at it very differently than how I was treated when I was in the insurance world was like, Hey, you didn't bill five units on that eval. You you only build three. What happened? Right. <laughs> for me, it's more so when you get somebody in, can you get them, can you sell them on your treatment plan on yourself? Can you build that? Are you able to build that trust and and show them that you can create change. And it's not necessarily, did you sell them a six pack or a 12 pack or mm-hmm. 24 is, did you get them what they needed? Right. Uh, and if you didn't, then what do we need to do? Was that a sales process issue? Is that a you know, emotional intelligence? We just didn't read them correctly. Was that an onboarding issue? They didn't know what to expect. When it, we saw earlier in the year, our conversion rates off PT evals were, they had kind of really dropped. And so we looked at and we started polling everybody and it was becoming clear they weren't really sure what we did and how like how we were different. Mm-hmm. So that sparred once they sign up. Now there's a you know a pre it, we did a updated video, frequently asked questions where they get a couple you know emails prior to coming in of you know this is us, this is what to expect from you know you walk in the door, you will be greeted, you'll sit down, your therapist will come in to see you, you'll come back. <laughs> uh, right. You know all the little things that you would think would be normally you know when I started like what you just don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we saw our conversion rates went up 25%. Wow. So uh, to me, those are the, I think that's how you can use those KPIs to then really make sure you're super efficient uh, for the, you know, the almighty, it's hard getting people in the door. Once you get them in, you got to convert them. Right. Right. What kinds of things are you guys doing? So you've got a niche, right? It's golfers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you like a scratch golfer yourself? I wish, man. I got three kids and I own a business. You know that answer. Right. <laughs> no, before I, before I started, I was down to, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a single digit, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, 
scratch would require me uh, either selling my children or the business. So. Right. Well, I, I lose single digit numbers of balls each, each time I play. That's, I, that's how my father keeps score. He goes, yeah. he finds track, more balls than he loses. Right. He's, he wins. <laughs> right. Right. I'm tracking how many balls I win and find and lose. So you've clearly got a passion for golf. You've created a, a niche out of it. And, you know, I would say clearly like it, it shows that if you niche down a lot of people, you're afraid of doing that. That was one of the hardest things to do was to not take everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Do you turn people away now or is it, or was that only something that was happening in the beginning? In the beginning? I mean, even beginning, I think you, you got to take whatever you can. I did consulting for a baseball academy. Like, I think you got to take what you need to, to get you up and running. But you know, at this point, like we had a, somebody, uh, they're one of the, one of the children was a golfer. So they were coming in to see us. Their sibling was a high level soccer player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, well, do you do soccer too? And I think it's just, to me, it's, I'm honest with people. I say, I can certainly look at her. We can probably help you, you know, give you some ideas. But a mile down the road is the top soccer performance facility. Mm-hmm. Why don't we, I know the owner down there. Let's coordinate. I think you should bring her down there. You'll have a much better result. And then, you, you know, we'll see your daughter here and the golfer. And, and people appreciate that. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's an important part, especially in the cash world, if somebody really, really wants to use their insurance. Like find somebody for them to go see because that will come back to you in a positive way. So, right. Um, right. yes, I think at this point we really will see our niche is golfers and we see a lot of complicated cases that like our friends of golfers that we work with who they failed three other PTs. And yeah, we, like I said, 98.9% of people we see at this point are golfers. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you find that, that that's the thing that allowed you to be successful as a cash practice or were, or was that just like a byproduct? Going to the niche? Yeah. I think that was what allowed us to be successful, honestly, because I don't have to compete with the pivots and the, you know, the UNCs and the Dukes and all the big medical systems because they come to everybody that we, that comes in, they're like, they're intrigued. Like, Oh, you're a golf PT. All you do is golfers. Well, yeah. Well then, okay. I'm willing to pay you $200 to come see you. (laughs) So that's, I think that's, you provide, Perception's all that matters, right? So if they perceive you as the expert in what they are passionate about, I don't say money's no object, but money to a degree doesn't really matter. It's the, you know, I know you, you talk about this all the time, it's the value. You're not selling them on a cost, you're selling them on an investment. Right. And so I think when you're passionate about a specific niche and they see you as the answer to the question and what they love, we're not, we're not right for everybody and we make that clear. I would say if, if we had five strategy visits come in next week, if three of them were right, they're going to end up here. If the two were not, we're probably going to refer them somewhere else. They're not going to kind of walk out and disappear. We're going to say, you know what? I don't think this is right for you. I think, but there is someone, you know, down the road who's would be really good or uh, that sort yeah. of a thing. That's awesome. Are people reciprocating on that? Like, are you getting referrals from other therapy practices mm-hmm. where they're like, you need to go to the golf guys? Yeah. So we, we get a lot of um, like post-op they've gone to like their insurance based mm-hmm. thing you know, and they want to get back to golf, kind of that transitional, Hey, go see you know, these guys, they're physios, but they can get you into that next level. And we get a lot from, from that standpoint, we get a couple doctors that'll send, oh, I got a high level golfer that, you know, go see them. But, you know, so they definitely happen here and there. I mean, we certainly aren't keeping the lights on with those referrals, Yeah, but you know, they, they definitely do happen and there's a good kind of rapport back and forth that I think is important. Yeah. So what are the, what are the top ways that you are generating uh, new patients? Is it, is it just working with golf professionals, country clubs? Is it some kind of online marketing, something else that you're doing? Yeah. So I think right for, uh, to me, there's kind of two sides of our business. We have the in-house side and we have our virtual side. 
the virtual side obviously is digital. The in-house is going to be, it's a lot of, so basically finding where our ideal clients are. So we actually get a lot of ideal clients from like some, a lot of local Orange Theories who they're active individuals and they make they'll come in because i mean orange we have, i call orange theory it's kind of like white white collar crossfit right no yeah. barbells but they do lots of stuff that we're going to hurt people and so people will get hurt they'll actually come in and this is like the you know we'll probably get we'll do a pop-up at a orange theory maybe four times a year mm-hmm. and we'll get probably 20 people from those you know that's six hours we'll get 20 people over the course of the year. So we, that's one avenue that we utilize that's non-golf. That's the only avenue we utilize that's non-golf related, mm-hmm. but it's because it's a specific population that is motivated to stay active. And there's a mutual benefit that we've developed there with some of the, the GMs around the area. Like I said, that's about 2% of our PT work. Mm-hmm. Most of the others is going to be basically identifying who are the golf pros in the area who are motivated to teach and the and the outcome of their teacher of their teaching. So basically, who are the pros that their paycheck is solely based on teaching lessons? So we've kind of partnered with them and basically developed a lot of relationships with them. And that from that format, so we do get a lot of referrals from golf pros. The other that we've done is we do a lot of like we do a monthly webinar where we do it kind of live for our members, and then we put it up on our YouTube page. We send it out to our email list. The way that we've generated the email list has been by two twofold. One is a lot of our lead magnets, which are based on a lot of our research. So mm-hmm. we do a number of different research studies, put them up there for free. That's kind of our lead, lead gen to get them into our system. The other is we'll do actual educational events at our facility. So we'll do some paid advertising as well as you know, getting the word out to the local uh, community that we're having. a. So in the winter, we usually do, we'll do once a month, come on out and learn about XYZ. We may even bring in a guest speaker who's just like a big teacher name and bring them in because of our relationship with them. And, you know, we'll get anywhere from 30 to 80 people to come mm-hmm. and you collect all the email addresses when they walk in, you send them a gift at the end. And, but then you know, obviously the lead magnets too. And then, you know, doing kind of, uh, in the golf world, getting on golf podcasts, getting on, there's so much media out there yeah. that like, it's so like, you just got to do the work to figure out who are the right audiences to get with. And I'll always create like a, if I go on a golf podcast, I'll say, Hey, here's a free home assessment for your specific podcast. You know, and then we'll generate leads that way too. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what happens when someone comes on your email list or you get a lead through one of these uh, free eBooks or podcast guest list type of events? What happens then? Are you sending people emails or is it, they just sit, sit there. Or is there you know, like, what's the journey like? Like what, what, you know, do they get 500 of them or do they just, yep. you know, you know what happens? So, so I've actually, we've, I've done run the gamut on the 500 to the, <laughs> just sit there. Uh, kind of where we've landed on for us and the sweet spot has been, you know, they'll get a, you know, obviously they'll get their delivered, whatever they requested. Um, they'll receive that. And then usually what I find is, you know, basically my theory was if they're engaged in downloading at that point, say it's a Tuesday at six o'clock, mm-hmm. then I'm going to send them something every Tuesday at six o'clock because <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe they're at their computer because that's where they were the first time they did it. So we, we've gone down to basically once a week um, where we'll email them. Um, actually, Father's there's a great book, the story branding, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so where we do kind of, you know, basically we do once a week, we do three emails, the first three. So basically the first three weeks, it, you know, it's value. So content-based talking about a problem, uh, showing a video of a, of a solution to that problem. And, you know, in our target market, speed, lack of flexibility, pain <laughs> there, you, know, you obviously find your pain points for your market. Uh, so we'd run those for the first three. And then the fourth week they get an email that 
you know, here's a common problem. Here's this, here's why we can help you solve it. And here's a hundred bucks off uh, an aval or, you know, mm-hmm. here's if you're on life, they've been segmented we segment them when they download, if they're kids or adults or PT or, um, so their offers obviously, and the content coming up to that offer is, um, targeted towards what their interests are, what they raised their hand and said they were interested in. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So you've got, so is your target, cause I was, I'm actually was looking at your website. Like, is it, <laughs> yeah. is it the kids? Is it the parents? Is it the golf pros? Is it, you know, other, other professionals? Like who would you say is like the main target or, and is it different than the people you treat a lot of times? So our main, so I think it's interesting for us because I think we have our two client target groups are 10 to 17, you know, basically 10 to high school aged mm-hmm. kids who play golf competitively want to play in college. So those are our client, those are our clients, but our actual target is their parents, obviously, because they're the decision makers. Mm-hmm. So those guys, those, that group is more your 35 to 55 year olds. And then we have our 50 to 70 year olds and the country clubs who are getting old and realizing that they ache and hurt. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of our second group that we have yeah. in house. So, so those are our two, when we're going direct to consumer, those who, those are who we're going to. Now we do also market to golf professionals and fitness professionals you know, from the sense of our research. We get a lot of referrals based off of people who really like what we're doing. And they're like, Hey, I want my person to work with you so you can help me get better results from them. So uh, we get that too, but our targets are definitely the kids and then the kind of 50 to 70. Awesome. So tell me more about your research. Are you doing like, are you, are you just doing stuff with the patients that come through or are you bringing in people for like research studies? Are you, I mean, what, what are you, what are you doing? And like, are you publishing (laughs) it through the APTA or other journals or is it just stuff that you guys are putting together? Yeah. So we're doing, um, so at this point we've been, we collected, we've been collecting data since day one, but the mm-hmm. quality of the data collection, I ended up throwing out about the first three years, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but basically what we do is every time somebody comes in, we have a standardized assessment that we do with everyone. And then we have with our membership three times a year, we do what we call test week. So we retest everybody in the facility. So over the mm-hmm. course of the last three years, we've built a database of longitudinal data of over a thousand golfers. So from that, we've been able to determine, you know, all the inter intra related reliability of all the testing we've standardized everything and we know like there's three specific tests that have R values of 0.8 or higher relative to club head speed, which is one of the main goals that golfers have. You know, we're also collecting data on all the mobility elements. So, you know, anybody over 50, you know, a guy over 50, 50% of them are going to fail at least two of the four main rotary centers. So that's going to cause problems with them turning in the golf swing. So that we have that kind of launch that whole database that we've done. And that's allowed us to establish normative values on club speed and all the other power tests. But then we've also done, you know, randomized kind of trials where we've done, we did one, uh, we did a six week trial. We basically took our membership. We broke them for six weeks randomly into two group or three groups. And we did a test looking at eccentric flywheel training. And we looked at that training versus traditional bands and cables. And mm-hmm. what would that impact be on club speed? We did a, another six week study on, there's a, a overspeed training with swinging sticks and we did a follow-up eight week study on that trying to find kind of the ideal, you know, blending physio in terms of what's the lowest amount of load we can put on tissue to prevent injury with performance and how can we do that while still gaining the greatest outcome and performance. So we have kind of two ways we've done it. We've done true trials, which we can do because of our membership. We jokingly call them our guinea pigs. <laughs> They're always in a study. And then we also just have our longitudinal data of just saying, Hey, 
we tested you in June. We did your training. Let's see what happens in October when we test you next. Right. So. Awesome. Awesome. And then are you, are you like teaching this stuff to other physios or golf pros or fitness professionals, or is this something that you're just using for your lead magnets? And so it started out just really as lead magnets and, you know, we've we published a lot of it this past year in a number of different outlets, but we stopped publishing a lot of the, our big database once it hit 600 data points. So we're up over, like I said, over a thousand now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually starting in 2020 doing some continuing education courses for fitness as well as medical professionals. So physios, basically anybody who's looking to, you know, if you work with golfers, you want to work with golfers, the actual science behind it, because a lot of what we're finding with commonly is taught isn't necessarily totally true even though it may make sense it doesn't necessarily always shake out when you look at objectively at it Mm -hmm. Uh, but then the other piece i think there's a huge gap and i think sort of like what you do in the you know with the cash-based just how to teaching people how to do that i think for us with this kind of hybrid model that we've done specifically in the golf realm there's no nobody out there who's really done it from the ground up and who can who has been able to like nobody was there for me to call and say hey how'd you do it and it was painful. It cost a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of time. So basically what we're trying to do in this course is, is um, basically share the science of it. How do you run the programs? How do you get your best outcomes? If you're a physio, what are the most mm-hmm. common injuries you're going to see? How do you treat them? How do you manage return to play? But then also how do you make money off of that? Mm-hmm. How do you actually build the business? You know, 30 to 40% of the course is going to be, how do you go out and acquire these golf clients? Where do you go? <laughs> you know, is, yeah. Do you go to the head pro? Do you go to the assistant pro? Do you go to the driving range? I mean, do you go to Golf Galaxy? Where do you go? So that's kind of the cool thing about the course is we're really blending the two of those. Uh, we're going to do it in a small format that we're not going to let more than 30 people in. We're going to have a continual mastermind for the next year afterwards in that each group contained to itself mm-hmm. uh, you know, and do follow-up calls. So my goal really is that when they come to the course, yes, they're going to get the information, but that, then they also have the follow-up to say, okay, I took what I learned. How many courses you've been to? You take what you learned and then like, you get like four weeks in, you're like, wait, what do you do now? What do you do at this point? So the goal is to kind of give people that opportunity to say, okay, I went and did it. This didn't work. What do I do now? Um, right. So That's awesome. So it's more than just going and learning like special tests and some things like for golfers, like, like TPI, which is based on SFMA. I'm pretty sure you're yep. familiar with it. Yep. You know, that's more con ed on how to assess and treat. This is more. Um, it's taking to, it the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's I mean, like, it, so a lot of the people who come have been to TPI level one. And they go through the assessment and you know, TPI preaches the model of, you know, get with a golf pro and right. from the ground up, it doesn't always work that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where our goal is to say, okay, you've got your TPI certification or you understand the FMS or the SFMA, you understand how to assess somebody. Our is now saying, okay, now you have 10 golfers that want to come work with you. What are you likely actually going to see? And right. do those tests even really matter? <laughs> right, right. Uh, some of them matter a lot and some mean matter not as much. So, yeah. What are the, what are the common misconceptions or tests that you've seen or, or exercises people are doing with golfers specifically that you've found, you know, don't really work. And is there something different that you guys have been using? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think in the golf world, everything, everyone tries to make it look like the golf swing. Don't do that. <laughs> um, you know, I think really when you look at, if we're trying to drive performance increases, is squat, hinge, push, pull, the, those still are going to be your best ways to, to improve the, the athlete's ability to produce force. I think from a speed perspective, we found a lot. So like, for instance, with uh, adult golfers, triphasic-based training actually outproduce, outperforms traditional training by 60% in terms of club speed outcomes. Wow. But that's flipped on its head if we talk about kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, understanding who you have in front of you and which 
type of training is going to be the most beneficial. I think there's a lot of movement tests out there for golf that really end up being unnecessary. The big four that really matter are can you rotate your head, your shoulders, your spine, and your hips. Right. Those are your four rotary centers. If you can't rotate one of those, like nothing else really matters. <laughs> Fix that first. Then you can worry about all the, the cool stuff after that. I think a lot of it, honestly, is it's, it's not as complicated as I think sometimes it gets made out to be. And you know, from a physio perspective, understanding how you can address a golfer and, and assess them simply, but then also understanding what's going to come next for them. And the it, you know, golf is a power sport. You go from zero to 120 miles an hour in under a second. And that's mm-hmm. a ridiculous acceleration profile. How do you prepare somebody to, you know, be resilient under those conditions? And, you know, if you've all treated a golfer, you know, they're nuts and they hit swing hundreds of thousands of times a year. Like, how do you, outside of just using duct tape, how do you keep them together throughout the year? Right, right, right. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. It's like most people forget the basic movements with, for any activity, whether yep. it's CrossFit, golf sitting on the couch, yeah. walking. It's like, you got to be able to balance, you know, on, on one leg and you got to be able to move your hips and rotate yeah. for yeah. almost everything. That's really awesome. Well, Chris, um, is there anything else like, you know, I, you know, like that you think that if someone's working on starting a practice or they're trying to get out of, they're in a practice, but they're working on growing to the next level, whether that's hiring more people, opening a second location, is there any one thing that you've encountered that you think would be good advice or helpful for somebody in, you know, talking to yourself four or five years ago? Yeah. I mean, I think definitely if they, if you have the ability at the very least, you know, I know you do, I think you do a lot of like free strategy kind of calls kind of, mm-hmm. I think reach out to somebody like you who's done it, <laughs> particularly in that space. I think that's, you know, if, if I could, if I had had somebody like myself to talk to back then, that, that probably would have been helpful. I think at the at the very least, before even like going to the logistically, how are you going to implement it? Understand yourself and what you love and what makes you tick. And if you know, if being your own boss, kind of doing things your own way, is what's going to get you up at four thirty in the morning, and you'll still be excited at you know eight o'clock at night, then you should probably do it. And it's but it, and it's going to be hard. I think sometimes people think it's like a linear, mm-hmm. you know, progression. I think a lot of times the downs are lower than where you started. Sometimes <laughs> my wife yeah. and I joke and call it the bipolar. You know, entrepreneurial bipolar depression, uh, where you're like, you're extremely excited because you just made a deal. And then like, you know, a day later, you're like, Oh my God, this business is never going to work. So you know, I'd say, you know, reach out. You know, I know you put out tons of content, like, like really reach out to guys like you. you know, I'm always happy to talk with anyone if they have questions and you know, specifically in the golf world or niching down and doing kind of a hybrid like gym and physio. That's awesome. Chris, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what, What's the best way for them to get in touch or where do they find you online? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, our handle is just at par for success, P-A-R, the number four success. And that's the same for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're pretty, we're active on all of those pretty much daily. You know, I always I'll give my email out. It's just Chris, C-H-R-S at par for success.com. If anyone has any questions, so you can always reach out to me there. And you know, obviously our website is par for success.com. If you guys are interested in checking out the research or, um, anything there it's it's all there for you for your taking so awesome perfect man well thank you for coming on the show today i really appreciate it and uh next time you're through greensboro make sure you give me a heads up and we'll we'll grab lunch because i know you're not that far away yeah for sure man yeah awesome uh, well just in about an hour down the road i know i know well for the cash bt lunch hour this is aaron labauer and chris finn thank you guys very much if you got anything out of this episode Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or take a screenshot, share it with your friends, tag us, and we'll see you on the next show. Thanks.
Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.